Because of the installation that we did this morning, although we read a whole form on it, I wanted to have that be the focus of our message for this morning. So we're going to look at one of the primary texts that talk about what it means to be an elder and a deacon. It's found on, uh, for, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 in your pew Bibles. That's on page 1178, or you can just follow on on the screen behind me. From the very beginning, however, I want to make it clear that this is not just a message I'll be preaching to six people this morning. It's a message that has connotations and implications to all of us, and I'll make that uh, clear at the end of the message. So uh, make sure you'll be listening for that. Again, from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things." Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I'm sure I share with many of you this morning, I've been on both sides of the hiring process. Uh, I'm sure more of us have had to get a job at some point. And when you're looking at different jobs, what do you look for? Well, you know who you are and your gifts and talents, and you are trying to find a place where you can use those gifts and talents. And so you want to know, what are the requirements of this job? What do I have to do, and do I think I'm capable of doing those things? And once you answer that, you want to know then, well, what am I going to get from that job when I give my gifts and talents, my time to this employer? How much are they going to pay me? How what are the benefits? What are the things that I will be getting in response to that? And the hiring side is the same except just the opposite. You have a, a little bit of time to get to know the person, and your main question is, is this a person that is going to perform well in the duties that we are asking of them? Are they going to be able to fulfill the job responsibilities? Are they going to be faithful in their work? Are they going to be a complement to our, our business? Or are they going to be a detriment to it? 
And again, you often only have a little bit of time to make those determinations. But when it goes well, it can be a real blessing to your business and to your work. However, when it goes bad, it can go really bad. And things can fall apart and be rather difficult. This book of 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to his personal friend, mentee, and fellow co-worker in the gospel, Timothy. At this time, instead of doing a lot of traveling around with Paul as he had done before, Timothy had been asked to stay back and give special attention to the church in Ephesus. A church that the letter Ephesians had been written to, a church mentioned in the book of Revelation. And when you look at the start of the letter, you'd quickly recognize that one of the major reasons why Timothy was there, staying to support this church, was because he was trying to address some issues of leadership that had come up. If you look back at 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, for example, it identifies the fact that there are some men who had taken on some teaching responsibilities, but they were not teaching well. They were teaching things that didn't fit with the Christian faith and were causing all kinds of controversies as a result. And so Paul tells Timothy to charge these persons not to teach any different doctrines. As you can imagine... When the church was started, where it was planted and it was growing, leadership was desperately needed. Paul or another apostle would come into this town, he would plant a church, he would gather a group of believers under the explanation of the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ. However, when they moved on, they couldn't just leave that church alone, but they had to raise up leaders who could draw others into their presence, who could train them and teach them and encourage them in their study of the scriptures and their understanding of Jesus Christ and how we as his followers are called to live and to act. And in that, when those leaders were raised up well, it went very well. And you got people like Timothy, these young servants who loved the Lord and were working well to build his kingdom. But when it didn't work well, and when it went poorly, you had things like what was taking place in Ephesus. False teachers, or people confusing the message of the gospel because of what was going on, and that caused all kinds of problems. So Paul not only tells Timothy to get rid of these bad teachers, but he gives broader instructions on what proper leadership looks like. And he gives Timothy instructions on how to find those good leaders in the church in Ephesus. And that's what we have in our text from chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now, when I talked about a typical job, as I mentioned, one of the main things you want to know is the job description. What is it that I have to do in this role? What is being expected of me? Is it clear and am I able to do it? But when you look for a job description of what an overseer and a deacon is in our text, truth is you're not really going to find it. It's not really explaining what it is that anything is doing. So when it comes to the job and task of being an overseer and a deacon, what does this text say about the job description? And when you look for that, it really doesn't say anything. The, the job description is found in the job titles. 
The term overseer is used here. It's a term that's synonymous in other places, although it's a different word, with the word elder. However, in our passage that addresses leadership, it seems that those are the same terms. And, and with that, when you get the idea that you're going to oversee the work of the church, these are people who are responsible for the health, the spiritual health of the congregation, overseeing people's growth in discipleship. The term deacon literally means servant. And that's their job description. They are there to serve the church, to bless those who are struggling with poverty or with other issues where they need those acts of mercy to bless them. But again, if you're looking for a job description, the, the responsibilities just are not mentioned. Instead of worrying about what the people will be doing, Paul encourages Timothy to worry about who these leaders are, their character. That's what he wants them to focus on, and that's the, the focus of our text. When it comes to an overseer, Paul quickly lists 14 things that he wants to see in these leaders. They must be above reproach, a, a nice broad starting point. Not that they are perfect, but they are morally careful. They must be the husband of one wife, not necessarily meaning they have to be married, but they are faithful in their relationships with other human beings. They are to be sober-minded, clear-headed, and thoughtful. They are to be, have self-control, be respectable, hospitable, welcoming other people into their community and helping bless them. They are to be able to teach. They know the gospel message so well that they're able to not only live it themselves, but to encourage others in their understanding of it. They are not to be a drunkard, always having a clear head and mind when interacting with others. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, never looking to start an argument, not a lover of money. If they're going to be tasked with the responsibility of other people's money, they have to be trustworthy in that work. He must manage his own household, his own family well. Here Paul explains that one a little further, saying that they're not be able to manage the work of the church well if they can't manage their own home. He must not be a recent convert. Again, Paul explains that this would be the temptation, an opportunity for the devil to use to, to puff the person up in their pride, thinking like, wow, look how wonderful I am, that already I'm being called to leadership. But that should be a careful thing, so avoid the recent convert. And then finally, they, all, they also must be well thought of by outsiders. The world is watching, not just those in the church, but outside of the church. And therefore, this is to be a person of respect and both levels so that they can bring good judgment to their work in the church and not be a detriment even to those outside of it. And then after making the list for the overseers, the elders, he goes on to dress the role of deacon. And he gives another list of things for their character. They too are to be dignified, conducting themselves in a positive way in the church and outside of it. They are not to be double-tongued, that their word should be trustworthy and reliable. They should not be addicted to much wine, again, that they shouldn't be having confused minds because of chemical uh, interaction at any point. They are not to pursue dishonest gain. Once again, their money should be, they should be trustworthy with other people's funds. 
They have to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This one might need a little more explanation. Whereas elders were to be able to teach the faith, deacons were to be able to demonstrate that they clearly understood the implications of the gospel for their lives. That they realized and received the great benefits of God's work for them and therefore were able to live that out in their interactions with others. They must first be tested. Again, this is someone that's not new to the faith, but that they've demonstrated that they have these gifts in these areas. Next, Paul goes on to address their wives, saying that their wives must also be dignified. They also must exemplify a number of these characteristics. That when they interact and support their husbands in this type of work, they should be able to be trustworthy with the things that they learn and see, that they can keep them in confidence and not use that information that they learn to the detriment of others. And finally, we have a repetition of the call to be the husband of one wife and a good manager of their own household. So in looking at these lists, very briefly even, in general, what do we learn? Well, first of all, we learn what the church needs. That as we all are working together, not just as individuals, but as a community, a body, a fellowship of believers under the headship of Christ, we need good examples. We need people to help support us in difficult and easy decisions. We need people to lean on to show us what it means to be followers of Christ in their daily lives. It is in the acknowledgement that when we are put in leadership position anywhere, but especially in the church, people are watching. And they're watching for whether we're living consistent lives or whether we're being hypocritical in our character. We're watching to see what difference the gospel truly makes. And sadly, as Paul had already experienced in Ephesus, and I'm sure as many of us have seen and far too many examples, when leaders fail, it can mean devastating impact for the church. At a minimum, they cause problems and conflicts, they stir up troubles, and it causes a failure to the watching world. And at worst, they can destroy whole churches and whole ministries because of their neglect of character. So Paul says to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus and to us, in knowing that, be really careful about the people that you put in leadership positions. Don't worry so much about their skills and their abilities. Worry most about their character. But that does give us, get us to today. And looking at and asking, well, what do we do with a text like this for those of us who are listening this morning? And first, let me address the obvious. Those six men that stood before us today and the other 13 of us, myself included, that will be, they will be joining in our church's officially ordained leadership. If you're like me, when you hear this list, it feels extremely overwhelming and daunting. You think, well, sure, I do pretty good in some of those areas most of the time, but there are other areas I can struggle with some of the time. 
And in that, you wonder, am I even called to this great responsibility? Can I handle this? Because I know that I can at times fail in my character. But let me start by actually encouraging that kind of an examination. This is a serious role that you are being called to, and we should be very concerned about our abilities to live into these roles. But instead of letting that concern drive us away from these responsibilities and roles, I hope that they drive us deeper into our relationship with God and our dependence upon him. Knowing that where I fall short, I can lean on him and his spirit. Because I cannot do all things in my own strength, we need to lean heavily on God's guidance and strength in order to be the people that he is calling us to be. Again, if you were to look earlier in the book of Timothy, in chapter 1, right after talking about those leaders and their failure and how they need to be silenced, Paul reflects on his own leadership. And this is where Paul says that, that Christ came to save sinners of which he considered himself to be the worst. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ and because of his sustaining mercy, Paul had been transformed into a wonderful leader and had done great things for the church of Christ. Christ came to change the lives of sinners, to take people with broken and messed up pasts and to turn them into new people that he can use for the building of his kingdom. And if God could do that for someone like Paul way back then, and if he can use someone like me or our others, elders and deacons today, we know that all of us can, when we surrender to our God, be used to do great things in his kingdom. So yes, for those in council, worry about your character. Feel the weight of the responsibility that we are asking of you, but let that weight drive you into the presence and trust of God, depending on his mercies to sustain you. But again, that still leaves the other 95% of us. Does this text have anything to say to you, or do you get to relax and say, whew, I'm glad I'm not in that group. I can... Let myself off the hook. Obviously, and as I mentioned early on, certainly not. First of all, we have to recognize the fact that while we had six men stand up for us today, six other men will be standing in front of us next year as more conclude their terms. And we welcome new leaders into those church. And those six leaders need to come from you. And so now is a time for you to grow in your character because we need to find not only leaders for our council, but good leaders for our church in the future. We need pastors. We need leaders and missionaries and those that use the gifts and talents that God has given to them for the building up of his kingdom. And we must find them somewhere. So the call is, what is God doing in your life? And how can you already now develop these character traits so that you might one day be worthy of that task of leadership in God's church? And that's not just for the ordained official positions in the church. It's for everyone to whom we grant leadership responsibilities. 
to Sunday school teachers, to Bible study leaders, to GEMS counselors, cadet counselors, upper Rome leaders, to our praise team and our worship leaders. All of us are called in those capacity to be leaders. And as leaders, we are called to demonstrate a level of understanding of the gospel and application to our lives. And so this isn't just a message for a few, it is the message for many. And I can say that because apart from the call to be a teacher, in other scripture texts, all of these other character traits are called for from all Christians. We are to be dignified, that we are not to be abusers of money, that we're not to be drunkards, etc., etc. That is a call for all of us. And so, yes, our leaders need to be especially concerned about these things, if for no other reason but for the greater impact that leadership roles have in a community. But that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. All of us should always be aware of the image of the gospel that our actions, our characters are presenting. Where God has worked and changed us, may that be a cause for celebration and praise. And where we continue to struggle, may we, through prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit, continue to look to God for help. There would be no greater shame than for our actions to bring dishonor and disrespect not only to the church of Christ, but to the name of the God we claim to serve. On the flip side, there's no greater honor when God chooses to use us and through us to do things to build his kingdom and do the work of seeking and saving the lost. Now, in all of that heavy responsibilities, especially again for those six men and the 13 others that will be in official leadership positions, we as a congregation, again, affirm our promises to pray for you to walk alongside you in this difficult task and to encourage you in that work, fighting against the schemes of the devils to bring you and us down. But for the rest of us, may we always seek to be the kind of people that anyone at any time could call us into a position of leadership, of service in the kingdom of God, so that again, his name would be glorified and honored and his kingdom would be built. Well, toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the responsibility of leaders, knowing that your church, of which you are the head, has decisions that must be made, actions that must be taken, and where we as vulnerable uh, people often fall short of the calling that we have received. In that, O oh Lord, continue to work through your leaders and through your spirit in them. We pray that we would continue to give them respect and honor that is their due, that we would hold them up in prayer, and we pray that despite the devil's desires to get them to fall, that they would serve us well as your kingdom grows. But that's the prayer for all of us, O oh Lord, that as those that have been called into a relationship with you through the good news of your gospel, that we would all not only know of what that good news means, but it would change the way that we live our lives and interact not only with one another, but with the rest of the world. That they would recognize through us the great God that you are, and it would be an invitation to join us in the journey we all walk together toward knowing you, 
serving you and loving the world that you have placed us in. And so, Lord, for all of us, may we walk with you in, in your church, building it together. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.